Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Yeah, no, give it up for God. Awesome, huh? Look, I, I tear up every time I watch that video, and it's because that is, is a representation of what we're, we're after here. Amen? Jesus changes lives, and, and people, these people took a step to do that. So I invite you, if you've never been baptized in your life, or maybe you were baptized when you were younger and you want to get baptized again, Sunday, this coming Sunday, can be your day. Take out your connection card. You know, go into the new year. Start your year fresh. Don't wait. There's no reason to put it off. Make the decision. Get your connection card out and sign it and drop it in today. We'll get you baptized next Sunday. What you saw there was uh, I also minister at a uh, recovery group every other Sunday night. And uh, we took the tank there. And they had never seen anything like that at all. It was uh, kind of a, of an, uh, not an experiment, but it was like the first time they'd ever seen it. It was like, what's getting ready to happen? You know? So we had one girl that, was, that had committed to getting baptized and the other one that said, on the spot, I'm jumping in the tank. And so it was, a, it was an incredible night. Uh, there and that was uh, one of the other pastors from the community. His name's Dion, and he pastors the Church of Christ on Graham Road. So it's wonderful to partner with him for the night. So all right, so jumping into the service uh, or to, into the message today. So Christmas is a tough time of year for every minister to preach, right? Uh, let, let's just make an assumption here. Let's let's say that everybody in this room has been uh, a Christian for about ten years. You've been going to church for about ten years. I realize that's not everybody's story. Some of you it's more, some of you it's less, but let's just go with an average number here. Ten years, and you hear about four messages throughout December, and then you've got a Christmas Eve service, so that's five messages in that one month. And over a course of ten years, you've heard a message 50 times on the Christmas story, right? And, there's, and it doesn't help that there's only two chapters in the Bible that are dedicated to this particular story, Matthew 2 and Luke 2. So, of course, for me, it's a little daunting to come up here and to try to preach, because you know when I'm going to tell the Christmas story, here's what you guys do. You guys have visions of sugar plums dancing in your heads and you all settle back like this oh this is going to be good can i get a fire in here like i mean like you're really you settle in because you know the story you're familiar with it it's comforting to you and you fall asleep and so it is a challenge for me as a minister to keep it fresh to keep it new to keep you engaged and and to go to challenge your heart with the story of christmas and so, of course, I, I, I'm trying to do that. I, I want to do that. And luckily, there are other chapters in the Bible that talk about who Jesus was and why he came. And they point to the Christmas story. And they tell us why he came, who he is, and what he offers. And, and one book in the, in the Bible uh, in particular um, was written by Paul to the church at Colossae. And uh, this, is, this is a letter that he wrote to them, and uh, we know it as the book of Colossians. And of course, that first chapter covers these three things, the most important things about Jesus, why he came, who he was, and what he offers. And last week, we talked a little bit about why he came, and we said that, that Jesus came to qualify us, he came to claim us, he came to rescue us, and he came to redeem us. 
Now, I've had some very interesting conversations with people since last Sunday. I've gotten messages that said, well, don't you think he came because to, to deliver us from our sins and from the wrath of God and from Judgment Day? And I thought, you know, that's interesting. That's interesting to me, but I think it's a product of, of years gone by, of preachers who have unfortunately used hell and, and the Judgment Day as something to scare people into conversion or turning to Christ. But these things... These things, why he came, to qualify you, to claim you, to rescue you and redeem you, are motivations of love. See, Jesus didn't come because he was afraid you were going to go to hell. He came to demonstrate and spread and shed abroad God's love for us. That's why he came. And of course, for those who believe in Christ, for those who accept his gift of salvation, of course, the judgment day is taken care of. Yes, we have eternity in heaven, and these are byproducts, but they are not the why. They are not why Jesus came. And we see preachers, it's easy to use it. It's easy to say, hey, listen, because I believe, I believe that we have one life to live and then there's judgment. I believe that we don't know how long we have to live on this earth and that tomorrow is not promised to any of us. So to make a decision for Christ is imminent. It's, it's, his return is imminent. Your life is a vapor is what, what the word says. And so I know that. And so I could, I could pressure you into turning to Jesus. I could, I could scare you. I could tell you how hot the flames of hell are for those who reject Christ. I believe those things. But I don't believe that if you turn to him out of fear, that you will stay there. See, we have a tendency to want to save our own skins, right? We, we, we are pain adverse. We're like, no, no, I don't want any discomfort, so I will take the thing that will offer me comfort. But that's not why Jesus came. He came to share God's love. And his hope, and my hope, is that out of love and in a response to love that you will turn to him. And so that is why Jesus came. And I just wanted to speak to that in case you felt like that's, because these side conversations I'm having with people, I'm feeling, you know, maybe the congregation's feeling the same way. But I assure you, those are not the reasons Jesus came. He came in a demonstration of love. His motivations were to give you what you really needed now, not to make your life better after, In the afterlife, he came to make your life and improve the quality of your life now. Amen? And so uh, preachers have for years used that, and, and I'm here to tell you Jesus was not motivated by fear, okay? And so that's why I stand here every week. That's why we live a life of love throughout the week, is to pull people from the fire, is to demonstrate to them God's love in hopes that they will turn to him. One to me is manipulation, the other is an invitation to experience God's love. So if you weren't here last week to know why those four things are important, please get the podcast, listen to it, and dive into those four things. And uh, and I'm sorry, I, I have a tendency, I just get a little excited when I get to talk about Jesus. Last week I was kind of popping and so excited, and throughout the week I've been excited because when I get to speak about Christ, my heart soars. My heart soars. And so this week we're going to talk a little bit about who Jesus is. And we're going to be back in Colossians. If you need a Bible today, you can raise your hand. We would love to bless you with a Bible and send you home with one. Uh, otherwise, the verses are going to be up here on the screen. But, uh, but we are going to talk about this because, uh, and, and it's written in this letter. Paul wrote in the letter to the people of Colossae because he knew that they were struggling with the identity of Jesus. They knew that, that they, they had it wrong about who he was. And so Paul reaches out to them in this letter, and and he answers the question, who is this baby born in Bethlehem? Who is this carpenter's son? Who is the man who hangs from a cross and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? 
And these kind of questions that the people had at the time continue down through the church age, which is exactly why Paul wrote this letter, and that's why he, he said to him. So today, I'm going to try to address and answer three different questions for you. The same questions the people had then. Who do people say Jesus is? Who does God say Jesus is? And who do you say Jesus is? So let's start with the first one. Who do people say Jesus is? Of course, to answer this, we need to go back as far as we can. And during the first century, there were a lot of viewpoints to explore about who men said that Jesus was. And in Matthew 1, 21, uh, the, the angel Gabriel says to Joseph, he says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from his sins. Hundreds of years before that, Jesus would be, uh, hundreds of years before Jesus would be born, Isaiah says about him, that therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In other words, God in the flesh comes and camps out and lives with you. And that's what Isaiah said about him. The Magi called him the king of the Jews. Matthew 2, 1 through 2, he says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And these are just a few of the answers from the first Christmas. Who is Jesus? At his birth, Herod, the Roman, uh, the Roman ruler of the Jews at the time, wanted to know who he was because he had no idea what was going on when the Magi showed up looking for the new king of Israel. In John 1.29, John the Baptist declared that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A certain rich young ruler in Mark 10.17 called Jesus a good teacher. And others who heard, te- heard Jesus would say that he was a prophet. Still more people even said he was just a good man. Religious leaders of the day who encountered Jesus... The Pharisees, after they encountered him, said that he was Beelzebub, which is just another fancy name for Satan. But his disciples, his own disciples, he asked the question. He took them out to Caesarea Philippi, which is an area that was surrounded with statues of dead gods. And Jesus asked them this question. He said, who do men say that I am? And Simon Peter responded quickly. He said, so, or the, sorry, the disciples all said, res, responded. They said, some say that you are John the Baptist. Some people say Jeremiah. Some say Elijah. And some of them say that you're a prophet. And then Jesus turns the question to his disciples. He said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You'll notice that being surrounded by statues of dead gods, he calls him out and says, you are the son of the living God. And so even at Christ's trial, where, where there were questions surrounding his identity, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? After his disciples saw him in the flesh after the resurrection, the next week when Thomas sees him, he falls to his knees and cries out, my Lord and my God. So that's who some of the main players from the Bible thought that Jesus was. They identified him as such. And today is no different than back then. Depending on who you ask, you'll get a different, different response. Now earlier this year, we did a series called Jesus Is. And I put up on my Facebook and I asked people, I said, who do you say Jesus is? Here's a quick survey. Just answer it with one or two words if you can. And, and I, the responses were, were revealing and staggering. Some people said that he's a fraud. A fear-based parable created to control the behaviors of men. That he was fake, 
and fictitious. Others answered, He's my best friend. He's my savior. He's relief, strength, worthwhile, the reason why I live. Why is it important? Why is it important about what Jesus or what we have to say about who Jesus is? Why should his identity be any less important than our own? Because as a society, we value that, right? We are searching and seeking for an identity, people or group to identify with. It is so important to us. So why should Jesus' be any less important? It's a funny story about identity. George Bush Sr. was out campaigning. He was a little shy on votes, and uh, he decided to go out to some, some um, uh, retirement homes, retirement communities. And he walks in, and, and he's trying to drum up some votes. He wasn't doing so well. And he, and he walks up to this woman, and he says, Hello, how you doing? He says, what's your name? <laughs> and she says, my name's Mary. He said, well, how you doing, Mary? He says, do you know who I am? And Mary, being elongated in years, didn't miss a beat. She says, no, but if you go to the front desk, they'll tell you who you are. <laughs> our, our identity is important to us, right? <laughs> I, in fact, believe that the identity of Jesus to be one of the most important things in life, period. Larry King, when asked who, uh, who he'd like to interview, he's got the television show, uh, Larry King Live. When asked who he'd like to interview, he named Jesus as one of the people. If he could interview anybody. And they said, why? He said, because I want to ask him. I want to ask him, was he really born of a virgin? Because if he was, it changes everything. It changes everything. Who Jesus is to you changes everything. Everything. And he's right. Jesus is one of the most influential, most written about, most loved, and most hated figures in all of time. Speaking of time, are you aware that our time is divided from the moment that he got to earth, B.C., before Christ, A.D.? Our time is divided by him. He was so influential. Jesus was more than a prophet. He was more than just a good man because those things discount him. They are an insult to who he was, to his character, and to his claims that to identify him as any less than who God says he is. So I think it's important to not only know what other people have said about who Jesus is, but to know who God says Jesus is. So we're going to be in Colossians, and there's just a short section of verses here. And Paul quickly identifies, and I want you to understand that as he's identifying them, the things that he says about Jesus, he's combating the lies that were sown into society. He's combating the, the things that other people would have the people of Colossae believe. And so when he answers them, understand that he is speaking into culture just like I'm speaking into today. Colossians 1, 15 through 19, verse 15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. 
Now, some scholars say that this, this section of verse is like the strongest Christology that exists. In other words, the Christology is the study of Jesus being fully God and yet fully man all at the same time. Here we learn that Jesus is not some knockoff version of God, but he is God. So look at the first verse again as we're given this powerful image of who Jesus was. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So I'm going to, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take this verse by verse and I'm going to break it down. Okay? Got to break it down. So what we need to understand is that, that God is called the invisible God. The son of the image of the invisible God, and let's just stop there for a second. God is the spirit and therefore invisible. Men have longed to see God. Moses even asked to see God, and God said, you can't see me. I'm so pure. I'm so holy. If you were to see me, it would kill you. He said, but here's what I'll do. I'll put you on a rock. I'll cover you with my hand, and I'm going to pass in front of you. And after I've gone behind or gone in front of you, you can see what's left behind. And Moses saw that. God removed his hand and allowed Moses to see his afterglow. And Moses' face shone bright for a long time. So much so that they had to put a veil on his face so that people could look at him. Men have sought to see the glory of God, but God is, is the invisible God. But Jesus is God revealed. He is the face, the revealer of his nature, his character, his majesty and glory. God chose to reveal himself by pressing himself into the clay of humanity through the birth of his son, Jesus, here on earth. And maybe it's best said that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus himself in John 14, 9 even declared, he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So Jesus is the very portrait of God. Some of you can even say, like if you look at my son, or if you look at either one of them, you can see my characteristics in my son. They are the portrait of me, right? They look like me. They walk like me. They talk like me, right? And I am so proud of that. Until they are misbehaving, then they are not my kids. You know what I mean? They look like their mother at that point. Just kidding. But my children are the portrait of me. And Jesus is the portrait, the very portrait of God. And Paul goes, goes on to say that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. In the Bible, the word firstborn means of utmost importance. And Jesus is called the firstborn of creation because he is the most important figure in creation. Now, at this time, you had to imagine that they were arguing that Adam and Eve was the most important and the, the firstborn of creation, but that's not so. See, Jesus has been here. Jesus was before Adam and Eve. In John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And when we look at that verse, the word, Word, is capitalized. It's a reference to who Jesus is. It is a reference to Him Himself. So in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And through Jesus, everything was made. And how is this possible? Look, the Trinity is an incredible mystery. It's an incredible mystery, but let me explain it to you. The invisible God, how do we see him? Through his word. That's how we see him today, is that not right? Through the printed word, he speaks to our hearts. Through word, the invisible God is made real. He is made visible to us through that. And Jesus was that word embodied 
Let me, let me break it down, the, the Trinity, for you just a, just a second in case you, you don't quite understand it. Because it is difficult to understand. You're like, do they, do they talk to each other? How does that work? Imagine the Godhead. This is a, a really big churchy word as a head, okay? And within the head is the brain and the thoughts and the plans is all control. This is God the Father. And Jesus was the word. He is the very words that proceed forth out of the mouth of God. Now, how many of you all have ever been choking before? And what happens when you're choking? You can't what? Well, you can't breathe, but when you can't breathe, you can't speak. So we understand that there is a power to our words that is not seen but could be felt if you put your hand in front of your mouth, and it is your breath. And the Holy Spirit is that breath. It's that wind, and it's the power to speak. So God the Father, the head, Jesus, the words, the Holy Spirit, the breath that carries those words itself. Just a brief look into the Trinity. And so Jesus is here. He is in the beginning. And Genesis, uh, God said, let us make man in our image. See, if God was just hanging out by himself, if Jesus wasn't there, wouldn't he just said, let me make man in my image? But he says, let us make man in our image. Jesus was there. The verse continues on in 16. It says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is the creator. For in him all things were created. He was what created things. God said, let there be, and there was. It was created through him. And it was not only just created through him, it was created for him. Everything was created for him to subject, to enjoy, for him. We tend to think in our culture today that everything is for us, right? We tend to think that the world revolves around us. But the bigger picture, of course, is that it doesn't. Everything revolves around Jesus. This is what God, this is who God says that he is. It is all about him. Everything created through him and created for him. We see this selfishness in us demonstrated from a young age, don't we? With kids, all you do, you put two kids in a room, you put a couple toys, and all you hear is what? Mine! 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 Right? Our selfishness is on display from our youth. We tend to focus everything about us, but Jesus is standing at the center of it all. And he is pointing out to each one of us and saying, mine, mine, mine. It's all for him. It's it's all for him. The verse continues on. It says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Look, without Jesus, the very fabric of who we are would come unwound. He is not just the glue that holds us together. He's the very force that brought us together. In him, we live and move and breathe and have our being. It is in him. It continues on in 18 and says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Look, Jesus is the head of the church. It all belongs to him. After all, he bought and paid for it with his own blood. I have a tattoo on my wrist. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. I had to look. I look at it every day. But it says that we have been bought with a price. We are not our own. 
He paid the price for us. Look, you say, Aaron, you're just talking to me a lot today. Look, what I'm trying to do is paint a portrait of who Jesus is through God's eyes. I'm trying to speak into your heart in case you've got a different idea of who he is. And you need to understand that not, he, not only is he the head, not only does he own the church because he bought it, but the verse continues on and says that he was the firstborn from among the dead. Many people during this time had said that other people had risen from the dead. That was their argument. Jesus is not the only one. But I would have to say to you, no, go back and look at what it says, the firstborn from the dead. It doesn't say that he was the first one resurrected. Because to be honest with you, every person in the Bible who was resurrected today is dead. Except one. Jesus. He is the firstborn from among the dead. And here we see a theme that we already understood from earlier. The firstborn means of utmost importance. He is the firstborn and the utmost important one from the dead. Jesus continues to live. The verse continues on, 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Look, once again, this this has nothing to do with us. God's plan, God's design doesn't have anything to do with, with our plans, with what we want, with what we desire. This is all about what pleased him. And he was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Christ. He didn't need us so that he could be God. God is God all by himself. Completely all by himself. And he does what he pleases. And he was pleased to have all of who he was wrapped in an earth suit, carried for nine months, born in a barn, wrapped up in sweaty cloths, and laid in a food trough. It pleased him to send his son for us. He declared of him on the day of Jesus' baptism that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It pleased him. And to think that he came here to earth on Christmas for you and for me, he being fully God, being fully man for us. The last question I said I would answer, and the band is coming back up, the the last question I I said I'd answer is, who do you say Jesus is? And to be perfectly honest with you, this is not a question that I can answer for you. But I believe it's the one of, of utmost importance. Who you say Jesus is determines everything in your life. Going back to Caesarea Philippi, the story I was telling earlier of Jesus and the disciples, Standing there and asking them, who do you say that I am? And when Simon Peter responded, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus returns back and says, and you are Peter. See, when you understand who you are or who he is, you understand who you are. Jesus echoes back and you are Peter, which meant rock. And upon this rock... Will I build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail? Now, most people think that, well, that was going to be based on what Peter had to say and what Peter had to preach. That's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying, upon a revelation of me, upon an understanding of who I am, is how I will build the church. And when you understand who Jesus is, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. A proper revelation of who Jesus is is what we need 
Who you say Jesus is matters. It affects all that you'll do in life. It affects your behavior, your finances, your work, your family, your relationships, all of it. Because if Jesus was who the Bible really says that he is, then like Larry King said, everything changes. Everything changes. And so when you stand before the God of the universe someday, this is what matters. Who was Jesus to you? And did you live your life for him? In the Christmas story, we see a response to Jesus in one of three ways. Because before Jesus came, there was an innkeeper who was given an opportunity to respond. And he ignored Jesus. There's no room. Then King Herod, who was told of Jesus, he didn't accept him. He didn't ignore him. He wanted to explore him. He wanted to explore the claims to see who he was. And then the last group of people were the the Magi and the shepherds. And in response to who Jesus was, they came and adored him. They came and bowed down and worshipped him. So my question for you today, will you ignore Jesus? Will you simply explore him? Or will you adore him? Let's pray. If you're here today and you say, I've never responded to the love of Christ, Aaron, your claims of Jesus, I've never heard before. And yet my heart is beating fast in this moment. Faith is rising inside of me and I want to give my life to Christ. I want to accept His sacrifice that He made on the cross for me. I want to be made new. I want to be qualified. I want to be claimed. I want to belong. I want to have an identity that is found in His identity. If that's you and you want to say yes to accepting Jesus as Lord of your life, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, if you'd shoot up your hand, look, there's no reason to wait. What's holding you back? What is keeping you from a committed life of following after Christ? Let me ask you one more question. In the end, will it be worth it? That thing that's holding you back? You can step beyond it today. You can step beyond it next week in baptism. But it starts with this commitment today. I'm going to count to three if you want to give your heart to Jesus. You just raise your hand. Nobody looking around. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up in the air. Appreciate your honesty. Look, I want to say a prayer for you, and I want you to pray it in your heart. You've got to mean it. So let's pray it together. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you came and died and rose again for me. I pray that you'll show me how to live my life for you every day. And I'll do just that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And then I'm going to pray for us, church. I believe that a fresh revelation of who Jesus is in our hearts and our lives today is important. Especially during this season when we're caught up in so much running to and fro. Here and there, all around the square, saying, catch me if you can. And in all of our running, we can't forget who Jesus is. We can't forget that he is the reason for the season. So let me pray for you. Father, I I thank you for today.
I thank you for your word who declares who Jesus is. And the picture, the word picture that Paul has painted for us declares Jesus in such a light that we have to respond to him. Lord, I pray that you would make that picture clear in each one of our hearts. So that in our daily lives and our choices and our relationships and the way that we live for you could be impacted by who Jesus is and who you said he is. Lord, may we lay aside and set aside improper beliefs. Set our hearts and our minds straight. Help us see you, Jesus, for who you are. And then help us show others who you are as well. Especially during this season. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I invite our service host.